Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sports book app. It's on to week eight, and today we'll be joined by Mike McCartney, the agent for Kirk Cousins, the son of the legendary Colorado football coach Bill McCartney, but the man who continually is confused on Twitter for the Dallas Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCartney will explain the confusion that reigns on social media. And then we'll be joined by the Buffalo Bills tight end Tyler Croft and his wife Alexa as they had their first child last week, baby Grace, and baby Grace spared them from the coronavirus that spread through the Bills tight end meeting room. And Tyler Croft was able to avoid it because he was with his wife at the time that she was giving birth. And then we'll be joined by the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, as he looks ahead to the matchups this week, the Buffalo Bills versus the New England Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Baltimore Ravens, and Tom Brady on Monday Night Football. And Tom Brady has a new toy in Tampa. Antonio Brown officially signed his one-year contract on Tuesday morning. He is eligible to play in week nine for the Buccaneers when he is likely to be in uniform against the New Orleans Saints. And that brings us back to last week because it was about this time last week on Wednesday that I started getting calls. Hey, you need to get on the fact that Antonio Brown is getting closer to signing with the team. And Seattle is square in play on Antonio Brown. There were other teams that had some conversations. Green Bay, I think, reached out. Others reached out. But Antonio Brown clearly was going to be signing with the team. I could tell in the way that people were talking. And so I went into my ESPN Fantasy War Room League, and I decided I'm going to pick up Antonio Brown. Now, I want to say this. I didn't have it confirmed at that point in time that he was signing with anybody, but I could read the tea leaves enough to know that it was building momentum, it was building steam, and it was only a matter of time before he did wind up on a certain team. And so I went to the war room and I picked up Antonio Brown. And this became the subject of an investigation from the commissioner of our league, my boss, Tunis Weasel himself, Seth Markman. He actually posted a picture on Twitter that became fodder for other blog sites, other internet sites, writing about the fact that Adam Schefter used insider trading to claim Antonio Brown off waivers. It generated a lot of conversation out there. And there were some people in our league that were amused by it. In my other league, I picked them up as well. And there were people in that league that play in other leagues that told their children and friends, go pick up Antonio Brown. And it began to spread, pick up Antonio Brown, pick up Antonio Brown. But people were writing about the fact that I engaged in insider trading, which I don't think it was insider trading. I think it was just me sensing it was going a certain way. And before I reported that there were conversations, yes, I picked up Antonio Brown because I've seen Matthew Berry snake somebody as soon as I reported a trade was done. Like I remember specifically reporting that Trent Richardson was being traded from Cleveland to Indianapolis. And I filed the story. And as soon as I filed the story, I went to go pick up Willis McGahee from Cleveland. And Matthew Berry, literally 30 seconds after I posted the story, already had him. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to wait this year. I'm going to go pick up Antonio Brown. 
and then we'll see where he signed. And sure enough, he signed on Friday night. Well, here's the great part. When we began to look at the wire in our league on Thursday, Tim Hasselback and Matthew Hasselback, the former Colts quarterback, as this was generating a lot of conversation, made a move of their own. Matthew and Tim Hasselback, last Thursday at 4.56 p.m., October 22nd, dropped Jacksonville running back Chris Thompson and picked up Andrew Luck. And this generated a lot of conversation. All of a sudden, I'm getting texts from Matthew Berry. Hey, did you see what's going on in the World League? The Hasselbacks, Matthew Hasselback, who's good friends with Andrew Luck. He picked up Andrew Luck. Is something going on? And obviously, the Hasselbacks were responding to me picking up Antonio Brown in advance by picking up Andrew Luck in advance. Needless to say, they dropped him a couple of days later. They were playing around. They were having fun, which is one of the main reasons that we play fancy football, to have that type of fun. All right, before we get into today's episode, I want to tell everyone about another ESPN podcast. Season two of the ESPN Investigates podcast is now available. The Running Man tells the story of an obscure former Olympian and alleged serial sexual predator and how a 14-month ESPN investigation brought him out of the shadows. More than 50 men were physically abused and mentally manipulated by their coach for over 40 years until they banded together decades later to find justice. Subscribe and listen now to ESPN Investigates, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, our first guest. Joining us now, the agent Mike McCartney. Notice how I pronounced that name, Mike McCartney. Mike is known for representing, among others, her cousins and negotiating the fully guaranteed contract that he got from the Minnesota Vikings, as well as being the son of the legendary Colorado football coach, Bill McCartney. But he's also known, on Twitter at least, as the pseudo-head coach of the Dallas Cowboys because people continuously confuse Mike McCartney for Mike McCarthy even though Mike McCartney's Twitter address is Mike McCartney7 on Twitter. And it's been a long-standing tradition here, going back a few years. And we decided to bring in Mike McCartney to talk about the confusion that has reigned on Twitter with Mike McCarthy. Mike, thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you, Adam. Well, how much have we <laughs> captured and summarized what has gone on on social media with people confusing you for the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Give us a broad overview of that. You know, it's it's one thing to confuse two people with the same spelling of a name, <laughs> but to confuse me and Mike when our names are not spelled the same, it's it's comical and it, it doesn't seem to cease either. So it started when he was in Green Bay and it was uh, it has definitely picked up steam since he's become the coach of America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. And when did you know it was becoming a thing before we get into some of these specific tweets, Mike? Honestly, the day he was hired, I'm driving to work. I live in Chicago and I pull up to a light and my wife texted me and she said, are we moving to Dallas with a smiley sign or something like that? And I'm like, oh, that means Mike McCarthy just got hired by the Cowboys. I'm going to tweet out what my wife sent me. And my phone blew up. I could not get on Twitter. I couldn't follow. I, I think I had nearly 4 million people check out the tweet, which 
that's in your you know area, Adam, not mine. <laughs> so that was the time where I'm like, this is going to be different in Dallas. <laughs> well, the, the great part was that tweet came on January 6, 2020 at 10.26 a.m. And you tweeted in my car and get this text from my wife. We're moving to Dallas, to which you followed up later, okay, on January 7th at 9.22 a.m. Mike McCartney 7 on Twitter, update, the wife refuses to go to Dallas, family first, <laughs> sorry, Dallas. Right now, there are people that are probably confused and thought that you were declining the Dallas Cowboys coaching job. What happened there? Same thing. Uh, my Twitter blew up again. Uh, people begging me to move to Dallas, telling me how great it is in Dallas. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head. And then, of course, there are fans who are also tweeting at those people like, dude, look at the spelling. This is the agent, not the coach. And it's just it becomes a, a back and forth between the fans who get it and the fans who don't. And there are a lot of fans out there who don't <laughs> get it because on October 4th at 2.54 p.m., a gentleman by the name of Jeremy Totsky tweeted at you, give us one good reason to not fire you. And you tweeted back at him, I still haven't lost a game in my coaching career. Then we've got another guy, that Jason Soltisiak, <laughs> who on October 19th tweeted at you, Mike McCartney, please give the ball to C.D. Lamb and get touchdowns. And you tweet at him, Jason, dude. You got to stop pressuring me. Let me do the job I'm not being paid to do. Then we have another one from Charles Green on October 20th, not long ago, about a week ago, where he says, hey, coach, seems like you're losing control down there. Players calling you out. And you said to him back, tweeting back, you got bad info, Charles. I'm actually up in my office and none of my players have called me out today. Get your facts straight, man, and have a great day. And it goes on and on like this, basically with people thinking that you are Mike McCarthy. Again, these tweets started coming in back in 2018. I'm going to read another one from Robbie Wabi, RP Coden, in November 16, 2018, at 153. He tweeted at you, Mike, what an absolute disappointment of a year. Mike McCartney on the hot seat and needs to get canned, Packers. And then you tweeted back at him. I'm looking back on 2018 and thinking it's been a great year. Not disappointed at all. Hope I don't get canned. You just read some of the cleaner tweets. I don't respond when they, you know, get vulgar or, or utilize bad language. And there are many of those. And I just sort of move on from that because if I'm going to retweet something, I know that my family's looking at it, people, you know, close to me. So for the most part, I want to make sure it's clean. But I can remember I'm watching the Packers game. It's a big game. And a fan tweets at me, you really need to run screen passes more or something like that and so I said I replied immediately and I said you know that's actually a really good idea let me consult with my staff and then he replies holy crap I can't believe you're tweeting at me during the game and I said what do you mean this is not hard to do I can coach football and tweet at the same at the same time <laughs> so that got going and when when Mike was in Green Bay I sort of acted like I was Mike on Twitter once he went to Dallas, I sort of changed up and I'm a lot more cryptic and I try to make my tweets where you can't tell if I'm the coach or the agent or somebody else. So I've changed it up a little bit here in the last couple months. I've actually gotten calls from or texts from a lot of people in the NFL kind of commenting on it. So um, I'm just trying to make have fun with it. You know, I don't want to make fun of people, but I want to have fun with it. 
what are people commenting you around the league? What what is their general sense and feeling? Oh, it, it literally, like not not daily, but every week I get a couple texts. Uh, your Twitter's hilarious. Don't stop. You know, it, it makes me laugh every time. I do get calls uh, and texts from people who who get me confused with Mike that are in the league. I've had someone in the Cowboys building on three occasions call me up and he says, Hey, what's up? And I'm like kind of hesitating. I'm like, well, dude, you called me. <laughs> what's going on? And he goes, and he's like, oh, damn, I called the wrong mic again. <laughs> so it's, I, I still get that as well. I got a, I had a head coach text me a few weeks ago towards the end of camp. And he says, Hey, Mike, can you give me a call? Really need to talk to you. It's not about a trade. And I'm like, Hey coach, I think you got the wrong lights here. <laughs> so oh it just, it doesn't stop. <laughs> so the Mike McCarthy, Mike McCartney connection, have you ever had the conversation with Mike McCarthy about it? So a few years ago, AJ Hawk's wife threw him a surprise retirement party in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I, I went with my wife and Mike shows up with several Packers, Aaron Rodgers included. They, I guess they brought a private jet from Green Bay to surprise AJ. So I went up to Mike and just making small talk. I said, you know, and, and Mike and I have known each other for a lot of years. When back, I don't know, 15 years ago, we were in the same hotel together and got each other's mail or messages. So we've laughed about it in the past. Well, at AJ's retirement party, I said, I don't know if you follow Twitter, Mike, but, you know, I have a lot of people who, who think I'm you. And he kind of gave me a look like, what are you talking about? And so I just let it go at that point. <laughs> Took a picture with him and we had a good night. But, yeah, it's, it's funny. He, it's, it's not just the fans on Twitter. So it's people around the league, but he's unaware of it. He, he doesn't realize what's going on out there. I don't think so. You know, after my wife uh, texted me that, uh, I went to an all-star game had a cowboy scout see me at practice and he's like, Hey Mike, uh, I hope you can keep me on, on, on you know, at the Cowboys. Um, so, the, so the scouts know, I think some of the people in the building know, but I'm not sure Mike knows. And when the Dallas Cowboys are as bad as they are, do you notice increased vitriol on social media? Honestly, until this past Sunday. Yes. Weirdly though, this past Sunday, it's almost like fans gave up. I didn't get near as many tweets at me this past Sunday. Now, maybe a lot of fans are catching on, but um, it, yeah, this Sunday was not near as bad. Um, and I was ready for it, you know, because it was obviously ugly on Sunday. So either either they're catching on that you are not Mike McCarthy, or they are becoming resigned to the fact that this is just going to be a bad Dallas Cowboy team and a disappointing season, and Dak is gone and Andy Dalton's concussed, and Zeke Elliott can't hold the football, and the defense is terrible, and maybe they have just given up, honestly, at this point, when the team is 2-5. and five. So Which one do you think it is more, that people have figured out your identity on Twitter or that they've given up on the team? I think, honestly, that, that a lot of fans have given up on the season, you know, just like you said. And, um, you know, it, 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 they're probably not tuning in quite the same. And, yeah, it was, um, it was an easier Sunday for me, that's for sure. That's your Twitter identity, but you actually have a professional identity. Again, you've got all these great clients in the NFL. You've done some great contracts. I want to ask you if there's one contract that you've done over time that you're more proud of than others or one deal that stands out to you in the work that you've done for so many players through the years. Anything that 
stands out there, Mike? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you know, as you ask that question, uh, definitely some some different contracts come to mind, but it's it's so easy to, to, to go back to the Kirk Cousins contract, you know, when he was a free agent and we were able to sign a fully guaranteed deal, you know, which had never happened before. And, and, and we did it, you know, with the hopes that it would change the way contracts were done in the NFL, that, that players behind us would be able to capitalize on that. And it hasn't happened. So um, just to, to look back on that deal, you know, it's, it, it was three years ago. We've already done an extension on that. It's, it's, it's definitely one that I'm proud of. And now also being the son of Bill McCartney, that had to be something growing up in Colorado, being his son. Uh, again, a broad, vague question. But what, what are some of the things you learned from your dad? Well, so my dad coached under the legendary Bo Schimbeckler for uh, eight years at Michigan and, you know, just growing up in, in the Michigan football environment. And then when I'm a senior in high school, going to Colorado, um, you know, and being a part of that, I was a graduate assistant coach for him for two, for a year. I was the assistant recruiting coordinator for a couple of years, you know, just being in a competitive environment. When we got to Colorado, you know, nobody knew about Colorado. We were just an average football team and, and it, not even average. The previous year, they had won two games. My dad gets hired June 10th, 1982. As he's meeting the people in Boulder, Colorado, he kept asking, who's our rival? And everyone said, well, we would love to beat Nebraska, but that never happens. So in early August, my dad says to the media, Nebraska's our rival. Everything we're going to do in this program is going to point to beat Nebraska. They then call Tom Osborne in Nebraska and they ask him, or they say, hey, Coach McCartney said, you're the rival. He says, Colorado's not our rival. Oklahoma's our rival. And so for the, and then they beat us pretty good for a few years, but we started to turn the tables in 1986. And then in 1989, they were the second ranked team in the country come to Boulder. We were the third ranked team and it was a rival from that point on. And it was, it was great. So I think my dad's approach you know, pointing to the team at the top and everything that we did in that program, can we beat Nebraska? And how to beat Nebraska was uh, really a defining moment of his coaching career. How much time do you get to spend with Bo Schembechler? You bring him up. Well, I used to babysit Bo's son, Shimmy. Um, oh, my God. You know, wow. and, and so I, uh, I, it's funny, I, I, Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh, the three of us, you know, would walk to Michigan football games together. And I can remember being terrified of Bo you know, just scared to death. And my mom and dad knew it and they would use that against me. You know, if I was misbehaving, they would bring Bo's name in. Jim Harbaugh was different. He was fearless. And I can remember him one time when he's 10 or 11 years old, running into Bo's office, putting his feet up on his, on his desk and saying, what's up, Bo? And Bo gets all angry and Jim runs out back to where I'm at. And he's like giggling, thinking it was the funniest thing, <laughs> you know? So it was, we, I have so many great memories uh, growing up in the game of football. And wow. of course, when you're growing up that way, that's the only life, you know, and, I, and many years later, I look back and think, man, how blessed was I to be able to grow up in, in two incredible situations. One that at Michigan, where they were always at the top and one at Colorado, where we went from the bottom to the top. Pretty cool. What do you remember about Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh with them as kids? So Jim was one year older than me. John was two years older. And Jim was uh, incredibly competitive and mean and feisty. And 
it was hard to compete with him because he was bigger, stronger, faster than all of his coaches' kids, and he was mean. John was the nicest guy in the world. He took care of his coaches' kids. So we all had a love-hate relationship with Jim at the time, and every year we would go to a bowl game, have a, a touch football game, which included a lot of touch when it came to Jimmy, and um, we'd come back and complain to our parents, you know, um, I can't stand Jim Harbaugh. And, you know, to this day, I love Jim and John Harbaugh. Those are just unbelievable memories. But growing up, Jim was a handful for us. Wow. And still is a handful today, right? <laughs> <laughs> he is. I root for Jimmy. He's a great guy. Yeah, we love As him. is John. Do, do, do you ever have a chance to interact with John by sending one of your clients or having one of your clients drafted in Baltimore? Uh, not a whole, uh, we have, I haven't had many clients drafted in Baltimore. I, I certainly, um, have a good relationship with John to this day. We worked together for three years when I was at the Philadelphia Eagles, I was the director of pro personnel and he was a special teams coach. And so, you know, we were teammates for three years and those were three fun years to be with John after, you know, growing up and it's kids together. So Mike, you've done recruiting, you've done coaching, you've worked for teams. How did you go from doing that to becoming an agent? Yeah, it's uh, it was 20 years ago. We were uh, in our third year in Philly. We played a playoff game at the Giants, and we got beat. So here we are two games from the Super Bowl, and, and I'm driving from North Jersey to South Jersey, and I start taking inventory with my life on that drive home. I tell people all the time, do not take inventory after a tough loss. <laughs> Don't do it. But I did, and at the time, I had three little boys. They were four, two, and one. And I knew on that drive home that, that I was going to wake up in 20 years and ask to raise my kids because I was never home. And even when I was home, my mind was trying to win a Super Bowl. It reminds me of the words of my mom. Every year on August 1st, she would say, football's here, goodbye, dear. And we wouldn't see my dad for the next five or six months. And, you know, here I was. I'm, I'm doing well. Our team's two games from the Super Bowl, but there was an empty feeling. And so just prayed long and hard and decided that I needed to do something different. And I love football. I have a passion for the game and felt like I had something unique to offer players. So I uh, became an agent. That was 20 years ago and been with the same firm, Priority Sports, ever since. And just really appreciate the way we do our job and put, put our players first and focus on integrity and character. So you're pleased with the way the decision worked out in the end or when you look back on this all these years later? Yeah, I, I didn't miss, I haven't missed anything of my kids. I added a daughter, she's 17. One summer, my two older boys were playing baseball. I went to over 100 games and I could have never done that on the team side. So um, I'm fortunate to represent really good guys, high character guys, and still have enough time for my family. And the nice thing about being an agent is as long as you have your phone, you can do your job from anywhere. <laughs> so, um, so I don't miss anything, and and that's cool. I've, every you know holiday, we we're, we're together as a family, and as you know, that's just kind of rare on the team side. Well, more and more, Mike, everybody's doing their job with a phone from home or wherever it may be. I'm sure there are more people starting to go back into the office, but it feels like there's been a change in society and the way we do things, and it just seems like there's going to have there are going to be permanent, lasting effects from that. And it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out, right? Is your job changed in that regard in any kind of way? Yeah, I think it's changed in the sense that I'm working from home. Uh, and we, instead of uh, getting on the road and going to meet with prospects, we do it via Zoom now. 
And I agree with you. I think it, uh, the last several months have opened the eyes of a lot of uh, people in the NFL, and there can be a little more, you know, balance and time at home. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to be in the office, you know, 16, 17 hours a day, you know. So I think I've talked to a few general managers, I'm sure you have, that they're going to change the way they're doing business year round, which I think is a really good thing. You know, I, I think about it. I, for 20 years, would go in studio for Sunday morning pregame show. And I'm doing it for my house this year. And I really miss being around my work colleagues and being around them and having that camaraderie. But I've kind of grown used to and am happy with the setup at home. Like I'm in my house. I don't have to travel on a, on a wintry day. I don't have to go back to motel, early wake up call to fly somewhere. It, it's in my house. And so while you miss out on some things, there are other things you do benefit from. And it's just totally different. And you had said to me last year at this time, hey, next year you'll do the pregame show, Sunday countdown from your home on Sundays. I would, I would have been like, you out of your mind? No way. But I have not right. been to Bristol, Connecticut. I've not been to Bristol, Connecticut since the first week in March. And so it just, it's all changed and it's all different. And we all adapt and adjust and get used to the new ways that we do our job, you, me, some of the people listening to this episode today. And so that's, that's just where we're at as a society. And like I said, I'll be curious to see how much that changes things going forward. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to have an impact in the NFL. I think uh, uh, teams aren't going to bring their scouting staffs in near as much as they used to and let them work from home. And I think, you know, with the different technologies, Zoom and Microsoft Works, you know, we can work from our home and not miss a beat in many respects and still have that interaction with our colleagues, as, as you said. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, once once I get, I guess we get through this pandemic, um, but I, I, I've very much enjoyed working from home and going at a different pace on a daily basis. One thing that won't change, though, we don't think, is the Twitter badgering that you'll continue to get as Mike <laughs> McCartney, Mike McCartney 7, not Mike McCarthy. People obviously still having a hard time figuring it out. But if the Cowboys keep losing, Mike, hopefully they'll begin to leave you more and more alone, as has become the case this year. It'd be nice if you get some peace on social media. Yeah, we can dream big, Adam. We can dream big. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike, I appreciate taking some time today. I figured it would be worth having you explain what it's like to be Mike McCartney on Twitter. You, you certainly didn't disappoint. And we'll continue to track your rather humorous tweets. I got to say, you, you had a pretty good sense of humor with this. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I try to I have fun with it. You know, Twitter is a tough place to be at times. And, you know, why not bring a little levity to the situation? Hey, Mike, I really appreciate taking the time today. Thank you very much for the time, for the insight, for the entertainment. Keep crushing it on Twitter. And we'll be in touch soon, I'm sure. Appreciate you, Adam. Have a great week. And so there is Mike McCartney, not Mike McCarthy, but Mike McCartney. And we thought it would be fun to have him reflect on some of these tweets because every single Sunday when I'm on Twitter and I see Mike McCartney tweeting to some of these fans who are irate about what's going on in Dallas, Mike McCartney has the right attitude and the right perspective about how to handle social media. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space 
to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And now our next guest, Tyler and Alexa, how are you doing? We're good overall. Just uh, got back from the pediatrician and everything. Uh, yeah, we're doing well. How are you guys doing? Well, first of all, let me say this. Congratulations. This is the birth of your first child, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. What has that experience been like for the both of you? I mean, she, knock on wood, has been like really, really good. She's not fussy at all. And she's been super chill. So she's kind of living up to her name. She's been really awesome. So it's been so good. I mean, we were just grateful that Ty was able to be there. I think that was kind of our fear in the weeks leading up that she was going to come early and he was going to be at a game. And with COVID, we didn't know if he would be able to come in the hospital, but it worked out perfectly. It was really good. So what would have happened if Tyler was on the road, Alexa, and you went into labor or had to go to the hospital? How would that have been handled? So we were fortunate enough. My parents um, had a rapid test place that was near their house. Um, they lived down in West Point. So they were able to um, come up for the last few weekends and just be there while Tyler was gone. And our doctor was able to get approval from my mom to come if need be. So honestly, shout out to them because they were able to help a ton. Wow. Now, I remember when my daughter was born, there are distinct moments that you never forget. It's still in my mind. I could see myself sitting in the waiting room about to be called in. I remember sitting with my wife. I remember the baby coming. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is very vivid, very vivid and always will be. What will you remember about that day last Friday? I believe that was the day that you gave birth, Alexa, right? Yeah. Yeah, Friday morning. Uh, we went in like Thursday at five and we had our uh, Friday at five. Okay. So what will you remember? What, stand, what images, what moments will be branded in your brain for the rest of your lives? For me, I was actually kind of up in there. I was holding her leg <laughs> during the <laughs> delivery. And I, I was trying to coach her through it as best I wow. could. Obviously, that's a new, uh, new position to be in right there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that whole experience of really being hands-on and uh, really being a part of it, actually, that was pretty cool. So that's definitely kind of ingrained in my brain. And uh, when we first heard her cry, I remember I locked eyes with Alexa and I just started, I, I started crying. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was just awesome. Yeah. It, it matches what you envision, right, Tyler? Yeah, it was crazy. It was probably a little, a little more, uh, a little crazier than I thought actually being in it, being in the trenches, so to speak. But it was, <laughs> Well, he had said he wasn't going to like really want to do that, which was totally fine and everything. But we were honestly, we kind of from everything we've heard, it was like, oh, there's all these people in the room and all this stuff and it was actually with COVID it was kind of really nice it was literally just us more and, our, intimate, yeah. and our doctor came in at the end and so it was just actually yeah way more intimate and I think it, we were able to kind of just like you know I really only paid attention to him because he was so calm so as long as he was calm I was calm and he did a really good job handling so, yeah, I, I wouldn't describe myself as calm in that <laughs> situation <laughs> well congratulations that's an awesome thing and 
one of the reasons that I wanted to have you both on this podcast is because baby Grace already has done an enormous favor for your family, for Tyler, for the Buffalo Bills Mafia, the way it exists. Basically, <laughs> on Friday, and tell me if I've got my facts straight here, on Friday, Dawson Knox test positive. The other tight ends in the room basically go on reserve COVID. And Tyler does not, because he's at the hospital helping you, Alexa, give birth. So your delivery, your timing was impeccable and it spared <laughs> Tyler from the virus. Do I have that story correct? Can you give me the actual version here? Yeah, yeah, we were. We went in on Thursday and to get induced just because with the away game, we were thinking that she was going to come a little bit later and we didn't want him to be gone if we could, you know, have some control over it. Uh, we didn't actually know. I was like kind of already like starting early labor before we went in. So they actually thought that it was going to be like a quick process and, you know, 24 hours is not quick. So we were actually kind of grateful in the long run. Um, and we were there like literally from five to five and things kind of were fine up until like hour 15, 15, they kind of started like kicking in, you know, 15 through 23, got a little bit more rough. And then, you know, at the end there, you just kind of have to pull through. <laughs> and um, yeah. so she, I mean, she really did, like she was saving grace for us because I had, you know, she come any earlier, he probably would have been able to go to stuff on Friday. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the team was awesome and they did let him get, you know, I yeah. think like 40, 45 minutes. I say I got some sleep. I want to, because, uh, because like we said, we went in Thursday morning, coach obviously gave me the day to really enjoy and be as involved with the process as I could. And then when it went 24 hours, I like texted coach at five or around six in the morning. I was like, she came in at five, like, I'm going to try, I was like, I'm going to catch up on a little sleep. Like, I'll see you guys in for practice, like, and all that. And he was totally on board with that. He understood. So I got about 45 minutes. And like you said, during that time, we had our uh, morning meetings, just our normal stuff. And then that's where the, the other guys got put on the COVID list as far as the reserves. And I was out at practice and all that went right back to the hospital afterwards to be back with my family. But uh, it was just kind of a whirlwind, crazy couple of days. And Grace is uh, definitely looking out for her papa. Tyler, what was your reaction when you found out that all the people you were closest with either had the virus or were being placed on the reserve COVID list? Yeah, it was obviously like the first second was a little bit of shock because you never want to hear anyone you know. And obviously I'm close with those guys. So I first want to make sure that they were healthy. I reached out to them pretty much immediately and was just trying to see what was going on. And uh, thankfully they've been feeling pretty good overall, but that's always the first knee-jerk reaction. I just want to make sure everyone's feeling safe and feeling good and uh, and healthy. You never want to see that any of your boys go down with that. What is your understanding of how everybody is now feeling? Dawson Knox and Lee Smith, Tommy Sweeney, Nate Becker. How is everybody doing? Yeah, every, I, so I was actually talking to them this morning and last night. Uh, I know uh, Dawson was kind of hurting a little bit for one day. I think that was three days ago now at this point. He's had a couple good days. Um all the other guys are feeling fine. They're all, they're not there. I think they're pretty much asymptomatic at this point. So we're fingers crossed. They stay that way. I'm pretty, my understanding is the protocol. They have minimally five days before they can come back. I know they have to have a number of negative tests between now and then for the, uh, the guys put on the reserve list, but knock on wood, all in all, they've been doing pretty well. So that's going to be a great story to tell everybody one day that baby grace basically spared <laughs> the family, spared Tyler, got him to play, 
in that game against the New York Jets. She's already contributed to the family in a major way. I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> no doubt. She, she's setting the bar high for herself at four days old. <laughs> yeah. Good job by her. Before I let the two of you go, I just want to ask Tyler what it's going to be like to play the Patriots this week. And it's too bad there won't be fans in the stands because that would have been insane. But you've got a chance here to really distance yourself from a team that has controlled the division for a long time. What do you imagine will be the mood of your team and that stadium and the city in the coming days leading up to that game? Oh, yeah. There's there's obviously, like you said, we, we, we have our work cut out for us this week. Uh, we know Coach Belichick's always going to have some great or some defense schemed up for us that's because uh, he's a game plan coach and he's always got something in the bag. Uh, but we're going to be locked in. I know uh, this team, we pride ourselves on uh, going to work every day and uh, putting their hard hat on and lunch pail. That's that sort of mentality. So I know we're going to be ready for the challenge. It's going to be a challenge. Coach Belichick always has those guys ready to go. So no one's taking them lightly by any means because like you said, they've kind of controlled the division for a little bit. So uh, we're ready for the challenge this week, and I know the guys are going to be ready to go. Well, the fact that we're talking about taking the Patriots, not taking the Patriots lightly. Like, when was the last time we ever heard anybody say something yeah. like that? <laughs> we're not taking the Patriots lightly. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, that's something we haven't heard, I think, probably since, like, 1998. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be ready to go for sure. The guys know. We know what the challenge is ahead of us. Well, Tyler, Alexa, I want to congratulate you both. Please congratulate baby Grace for me as well. Uh, great job by her. Game ball to her in her first week uh, on this earth. <laughs> Outstanding job by her. And thank you very much for the time. Enjoy your new baby and your newly expanded family. And good luck on Sunday against the Patriots in Buffalo, Tyler. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Great story there from Tyler Croft and Alexa Croft. Congratulations to them. Just incredible how life works and how they cannot attend those meetings. Tyler can attend those meetings and he is spared. So we thought that would be fun to have him and his wife, Alexa, on. And we appreciate them coming on here to speak about their experience. And now our final guest today. All right, we're into week eight, and we are joined once again by my friend, my colleague, the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. Evan, thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me, Adam. We have another excellent week in front of us, and I got to say, I enjoyed last week's games an awful lot. That Tennessee-Pittsburgh game, that Arizona-Seattle game, really entertaining football, and we'll hope that we get another one this upcoming weekend. And I think we start here with the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. We had Tyler Croft on earlier in this podcast, talking a little bit about that matchup. And the Patriots are out of first place for a divisional game for the first time in a long time. It doesn't happen very often. What do we make of this, Evan? A lot of really good divisional games this weekend, Adam. And one of the more interesting, certainly based on how the Patriots have played, is, is Patriots-Bills in Buffalo. So as you said, the, the Patriots are two and a half games behind the Bills in first place. Dolphins actually between the two teams. and. As you would expect, this is a rarity for New England under Bill Belichick. This is the first time the Patriots will enter a divisional game this late in the season without at least a share of first place since 2008, week 12 against the Dolphins. That's nearly 12 years ago. I reached out to, to our friends at Elias. They said that snapped the longest streak entering a divisional game in first place in week eight or later by any team since the 1970 merger. That's 41 straight games the Patriots went 
this late in the year, being in first place. So we haven't seen this in a really long time. The Patriots have won eight straight in Buffalo. And look, it's great that we even have these games to look forward to. But I think this is one you you wish there were some fans, right? This is one where that Buffalo crowd oh, yeah. would be would be out of control, right? Oh yeah. Oh no, it, it would be unbelievable. They're, they're going to miss the home field advantage, and really, they will. You know, when you when you watch the games this year, Evan, it's like you could see that. Like I just think of mm-hmm. Tampa Bay playing in Las Vegas on Sunday. And Brady getting to do what he wants in that stadium. And it, that's the case with a lot of teams on the road this year. It's a factor. It's definitely a factor. We've seen that that the teams playing at home have not had as much of an advantage as maybe we've seen in some previous years. And the Bills, after starting 4-0, they're 2-1 they're in their last two. But they're still 5-2. and two. And I think that this is really the game where they can put – they can obviously put some huge separation between – between themselves and the Patriots, if they win this game, they would be six and two. The Patriots would be two and five. That's that's a tough, even for Bill Belichick. That's a tough uh, deficit to overcome. And let me circle back quickly on the home teams. Home teams in the 2020 season are 53, 51 and one. That's barely over 500. And I'll bet you, if you look back at that, Evan, I'll bet you that's the worst record home teams have had through Week Seven. I would bet you ever. It's it's going to be close. At the very least, it's going to be close, and and I would agree, Adam. It's I think we kind of knew this might happen going into the season, and and it has. Home field advantage uh, is not is not what it once was. E- even some of the teams traveling across country, we've seen the Rams win on the East Coast. We've seen the Cardinals win on the East Coast. Certainly the Seahawks a few times. So even when travels involved, it hasn't proved to be as big. As like you said, we've probably seen in previous years. Or in that division, you brought the Miami Dolphins, and that's going to be a highly anticipated game this weekend against the Los Angeles Rams, who are coming off a Monday Night Football win against the Chicago Bears. But this is the first NFL start for Tua. How do you break that down? Yeah, it, there's a lot of different angles we can go, and and I think last week the discussion, and maybe rightfully so, was about the decision to move from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Tua, but I think this week, now that it's game week, that's happened, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick will be the backup. Tua is the starter. So let's focus on Tua. And you look at the other two top 10 quarterbacks this year in the 2020 draft, along with Tua, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. And Tua's got a lot to look forward to because they've both played really well. Joe Burrow, uh, they, they haven't had, neither have had the wins maybe, but I think anybody who's watched them play can tell that they have a future in this league. Joe Burrow's second most completions in any player's first seven games in NFL history. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert, this past Sunday, joined Deshaun Watson as the only rookies ever with three touchdown passes in three straight games. Herbert got his first win. Uh, Burrow, almost, you know, he's had a few almost here. It's a couple of good performances. So now Tua starts his career against Aaron Donald and the Rams, that ferocious defense. They play the Cardinals the week after. Not an easy start for Tua, but this is this is why you draft a quarterback in the top five. And regardless of, like I said, there was an interesting debate about whether they went too early or whether they went too late. We knew Tua was going to play when he was ready. I think everybody is looking forward to seeing how he performs, certainly with the backdrop that the other two guys picked in the top ten from a quarterback position have both looked pretty good. To me, again, the insertion of Tua makes that game one of the more intriguing games of this weekend, one that I think a lot of people 
will want to watch, and that should create a lot of interest. All right, a game that does not need any sort of highlighting for the intriguing matchup that it is is the Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens. How do we size up this matchup, this rivalry? This has been maybe the closest rivalry in the NFL, and it's exactly even when you look over the last 20 years. This is pretty remarkable. So since 2000, 2000 to the 2019 seasons, which is 20 seasons, they've played 44 times, including the playoffs. They've split those 44 meetings. Wow. They've, each won, they've each won 22 times. They've scored nearly the same number of points. Ravens averaging 20.1. Steelers averaging 19.4 in those games. And this, even though this is Lamar Jackson's third season, it, it'll be his first career start against Ben Roethlisberger. So the, the previous times uh, he started, Ben was out and, and Lamar didn't come in as a starter until later in his rookie season. These teams are 11 and one. That's the best win percentage in the history of this rivalry. Wow. This, to get nostalgic for a second here, Adam, this is these, these are the games where we love the NFL. This yeah. is six and zero versus five and one. This is star power on both sides, on both sides of the ball. This is a great rivalry. Two head coaches that have met forever in John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin. This game has it all, and and I'm really this would be the one I'm looking forward to most this week. You know what's interesting? Also, last week when the Baltimore Ravens traded a second and a conditional fifth round pick to Minnesota for unique. Godway. Mm-hmm. They completed the trade on Thursday because Baltimore wanted to make sure that Ngakwe could get back home to Baltimore, where he's from, and pass through COVID protocols in right. time to play Sunday's game right. the Pittsburgh Steelers. The timing of that trade was predicated on the fact that they were playing the Steelers this week so Ngagwe could be available That's in this great. particular matchup. And that tells you a little bit how much each team is in the other team's mind. All right, on Monday night, we have Tom Brady playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the New York Giants. It'll be Brady's first Monday night football appearance on Monday night football as a Buccaneer. And I'll tell you what, Evan, so far, Tom Brady, he has been lights out. Nothing should surprise us about Tom Brady anymore. But at 43 years old, what he's doing is pretty remarkable. He's got 18 touchdown passes this season. Only Russell Wilson, who everybody has rightfully so, kind of given the the MVP of the first half of the season, has more. Brady, 18, is second in the NFL. This this past Sunday's game was unbelievable. In all the games that Tom Brady has played, including the regular season and playoffs, it was the first time ever he had four touchdown passes and a rushing touchdown in a game. Stat I love to look at is NFL Next Gen's completion percentage above expectation. So what does that do? That compares what Brady's actual completion percentage was in the game compared to what we would expect it to be based on where his throws went, what kind of pressure he was under, things like that. It was 13% higher than the expected completion percentage against the Raiders. Oh, he also moved ahead of Drew Brees for the most touchdown passes in NFL history. Brady is playing at an unbelievable level. This team has after some inconsistency to start is now five and two we'll see what happens with everything with antonio brown and and the rest of those offensive weapons but i think the the buccaneers have moved themselves maybe not at the top but right near the top of the nfc in terms of in terms of nfc favorites i'll tell you this they might look like the most balanced and best team in the nfc i know seattle's been good Arizona's been good. 
I'm just thinking of the divisions here, right? Uh, Green, I mean, Bay's, Green Bay's been Green, good. Green Bay, Seattle, Arizona have all been good, but I think the word you brought up is balance. Yes. And this is a team with the Buccaneers that they lead the NFL in a ton of defensive categories. They have players at all three levels on defense that – let's just take this quick equation. Tom Brady plus all of those weapons plus a strong offensive line plus a defense led by Todd Bowles. It's going to be tough to beat them down the stretch if they keep playing like this. Uh, I will say this. Again, we are only seven games in, and there is a lot of football left and a lot of COVID tests to pass. But it's still a situation where they right now look like the best team in the NFC. They look like the best team in the NFC. And we'll see whether or not they could uphold that on Monday Night Football this week against the New York Giants. We'll have the pregame show Monday Night Countdown starting 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific on Monday night. Until then, Evan, appreciate your time. Appreciate your insight. We'll see you back in the studio. Thanks very much. All right, Adam. Thanks. And there's Evan Kaplan. And you heard him bring up those numbers. So we did a little checking and we found out about what was the worst Home field advantage that we've seen this season, as Evan mentioned, it's 53, 51, and 1, a win percentage of 510. Last season, through seven weeks, it was actually 46, 59, and 1 through seven weeks, a win percentage of 439. Amazing to think that it was worse last year than this year when there's really no home field advantage this year. And there was last year. Those aren't even the two worst all time, which is hard to imagine. We can say that. They're the worst through seven weeks over the last 20 seasons, or according to Elias, last season was the worst through seven weeks since the 1970 merger. So thank you very much for that information to Evan Kaplan, and thank you to Alexa and Tyler Croft, the new parents who have a new baby to help raise, and thank you to our first guest, Mike McCartney, not Mike McCarthy, but Mike McCartney, and thank you to my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this all together, as well as to you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when week eight will be in the books, when the NFL trade deadline will be completed, when we'll be able to look back at those events and provide some insight and information for that. Until then, everybody, have a great week. Be well. Stay safe.